are a dad of Australia, have a passion and desire for improving your health, your fitness, and love to either run, cycle, or swim, then this podcast is for you. Fit Dads Australia podcast is where we wish to provide a platform of information to the dads of Australia to help dads become healthier and fitter through the wisdom of others that we interview on this podcast. Hey guys, my name's Nathan and I'm a dad just like you listening on trying to be better for my family and for myself. I have previously been unhealthy, overweight, unfit for parts of my life and I really couldn't imagine being like that now as a father of two. So my goal is to find other like-minded dads of Australia who care about their health and well-being and have a passion in particular with endurance sports like running, cycling, or swimming. I hope you enjoy these conversations with inspirational dads of Australia, otherwise known as the Fit Dads Australia podcast. All right, howdy doody, can you hear me okay? I can, good to meet you. Very good, very good. Awesome. Dan, thank you so much for giving us your time this afternoon on Fit Dads Australia podcast. I'd like to say welcome and I'm very, very excited to tune into your journey and in your, you know, where you are currently doing Ironmans with five kids. I'm definitely curious to see how you do it all. So, mate, take it us away with, um, give us a bit of a background into, you know, how you, how you landed where you are now. Great. And look, um, thanks very much for the opportunity to be here. I mean, I never thought I'd be on a podcast about fit anything, let alone fit dads. <laughs> so, so, so I think it's uh, it's a really good thing you're doing, and, and really sending, I think, positive and specific messages to the dads out there on on you know how they might navigate their own personal journeys because every journey is personal, and I think I think it's great. You know, the more information that we can get out there, the better. So, thanks for the opportunity. Oh, thank you. Pleasure, pleasure. So, so talk to me about how how we come to learn more about Dan. Where does it all start? Um. I suppose my my background um, as an athlete began as a team. I was I was a competitive gymnast, and and I did a bit of long distance running. So I ran a marathon, and and so I was quite fit and and had an athlete mindset back then. But then, uh, you know, after I left home, life got in the way. Got married, been married for twenty seven years, had five kids in eight and a half years. Um, so that was pretty heavy decade of our of our early married life and then so you tend to you know not not focus on fitness and not focus on on health and wellness and and in fact you don't understand the linkage between them um so i'm in my early 50s now and it was it sort of began actually in my late 30s early 40s when i started having um more and more health problems so around 40 you know the doctor said that i'm um, an increased risk of of a um heart attack and uh and so you know they wanted to put me on i had high cholesterol so they wanted to put me on lipitor um and had increasing blood pressure and you know i was pretty overweight um at the time so in fact i was i was very overweight um so i found that um but you know you again you 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 tried diets and you try different things and none of them really worked and it wasn't until I was 50 and I started another one, a business, and I co-founded a business which involved a lot of overseas travel. And, and there's you know, anyone who's an entrepreneur and, and running a business or just you know, really 
you know, um, have a, a demanding job will realize that um, I needed to get fitted to be able to cope with all the travel or I was going to really struggle. And I remember one time I was uh, in, in an Asian country with my office that was in, in the Philippines and I ended up um, in, in hospital with, with DVT, which is like blood clots in the leg. And, and I was, it was a pretty scary experience. Um, and, and so that was, a, I suppose, a, a big wake-up call for me because I felt very vulnerable, I think, for me, I think vulnerable for the business and, and all of the people that, you know, that I'd hired and their families and I felt vulnerable for my own family. So I'd sort of been, I, I, I knew I had to do something. And I'd been hearing a lot about this keto um, diet or keto lifestyle from a lot of the Silicon Valley uh, people that uh, that I had kept in contact with and became really really big in San Francisco and it's quite big around the world now, um, but it looked quite technical. And being a nerdy analyst um, type that I am, I you know had to do a lot of research and I did a lot of research into it and I ended up giving it a go and uh, and found it really worked. And this was um, a little over two years ago now um, that I did it. And it was, it was, um, I lost three kilos, I think in the first week. Uh, and so that was, um, uh, that was a good start. And I just started to shrink. Um, and so it was first, it was weight loss. Um, and then my wife started um, about a month after she'd seen the, the change in me. And so we were both overweight. And so she, she started it with me. And then over the, the course of the next eight or nine months, I lost about 25 kilos and my wife lost over 30 kilos. Wow. Okay. <laughs> and this has only happened within the last couple of years, you're saying? That's right. Yeah. So, so just, just over two years ago. Um, so this was, we weren't doing, we, we were doing the normal exercise that a lot of people do where you might try, you'll have a, you know, you get up and say, I'm going to try couch to 5k or uh, we, we didn't get that far. It was like, how do I, you know, go to the gym. Like we donated so much money over the years to Virgin Gym that it was it was um, it was crazy. So we we um, you know we're like everybody else, and we tried doing it, but then we found the, the keto thing that worked for us, and and it has continued to work to this day. So we've, I think for me, it was the weight loss was sort of a big benefit, and I went I went from. I can't like I went through three or four size changes of clothes. It's you know I've got some pictures around. You can you know you can share. It was just it was it was really interesting. But what was more powerful for us was the metabolic benefits for our health. And and that was that was the big um, the big change when we found I slept better, mood regulation was better, and and ironically the doctor had been telling me you know when they looked at all the inflammation markers in my body so I had gout. I had arthritis. I had chronic um, heart, uh, not, not uh, chronic, um, a lot of chest pain from indigestion, so chronic indigestion. So I had medication for all of those things. And they said, you have to be on them forever. And after a month on keto, none of it. I didn't need any of it. Hmm. And then when they tested all of my blood work after, I think it was six months of being on it, I had fatty liver disease and that was gone after six months and I'd had that for 20 years and, and some other metabolic, which I won't share, share with anybody, but that's how profound the, the shift was in me. That was before I started doing any training. Mm -hmm. 
So I realized that a big part of, of what we do is in terms of lifestyle is nutrition. And a lot of, you know, like people like Don Agostino and all of these other guys that are talking about it. Um, uh, we also did a lot of intermittent fasting. So those are the two things that we did together. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm not sure if, 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 you know, a lot of people probably heard a little bit about intermittent fasting. Um, and we, and I found that was those two things that intermittent fasting supercharges the keto effects. Mm-hmm. Um, and we learned, for me, I learned that nutrition uh, is about three things. A lot of it, you know, we talk about it's calorie, the, the amount we eat. And, and then the second part is about what we eat. And the third part about is when we eat. So, which is time restricted feeding. And mm-hmm. so, so I think they're the three things that we put together that were so profoundly successful for us. So I suppose before we unpack, as I really want to dive into maybe how you, uh, like what a, what a typical meal plan could look like over a week and all those mm-hmm. sorts of things. Mm-hmm. Um, can you try and bridge the gap for me or for the listeners between this? So you said late thirties to early forties is where mm-hmm. your health kind of started to decline. Right. But then you're also saying it's only been in the last couple of years that you've actually either found your health, got your fitness intact and actually lost, lost the weight. What was, what, what were some of the things that you did try? So obviously, um, a ketotic diet has actually worked for you and, mm. and, and seriously um, changed your life by the sounds of it. What, mm. what, what were some of those things that you tried? Because I'm guessing when you were early 40s, you had still tried to regain your health to some degree. Am I correct in saying that? Yeah, look, I mean, it, when you're in the, in the 30s, you get the dad bod and you sort of laugh it off and, and get squidgy around the edges, but it's not too bad. But in, in your late 30s, you know, you're having a whole lot of career changes that hit you. Um, and the, and the, the aspirations that you had tend to change. And then you have your, your, your energy levels. Uh, your kids are getting a bit older, depending on where you're at in your cycle of kids. Um, so all of those things, you know, for me came together. And um, so I tried, you know, um, I tried a lot of the diet, diets, and I use the word diet because I don't like that term at all. I think it's really quite a destructive term because it, it takes away from um, the lifestyle notion that I think we really miss out on because we think about everything in terms of periods, like I'll do this and that's it. And then I'll mm. go back to the way I was, but, but that's actually not how, how it works. And after doing that for 15 years, I realized that um, you can't start and stop. You, it, you have to, like we had to. to, and then, uh, and then make that lifestyle change. And, um, and that's, so we, we did a lot of the low-fat stuff, um, low-fat diets, and uh, that, that worked for a while. But what we realized is when you're doing the low-fat stuff, it's not the low-fat part of the macro component. When you look at the macros of a meal and you've got you know, either protein, carbs, or macro uh, or fat, um, so you, you try and reduce the fat content, increase the carbs, and, and have protein. And so what tends to fill the gap in terms of the caloric deficit um, for a while, why it works is that you've taken away the caloric piece, the volume that you're eating. But then as soon as you put that back in, because you're not satiated with, with having just ca- uh, with having carbs, because they tend to be empty calories that that's why a lot of those diets don't work. Whereas on a fat, like a low carb, higher fat diet, you do, t- you do feel full. And, and that's what's um, why, um, people have a lot of success very quickly 
with the keto diet because um, they, they take carbs out. But the metabolic benefit that came that we found was because an, an understanding of how the energy production system works in, at the cellular level. And we did a, I did a lot of research on that, being a bit of a nerd that I am. Mm. And, and, and what I found was that um, we take in, uh, you know, a lot of our diet is, is processed food even, um, and it it's, has sugars and carbohydrate. When you take carb, carbs in, they eventually through the Crips cycle become sugars or glucose. Um, and, and so that means that you're putting either refined sugars or non-refined sugars into the body. But, but the whole mitochondrial function within the cell has to process that. And that's when you get insulin resistance that built up. And that's what happened to me. And it was my, we didn't realize this at the time, but my wife had become pre-diabetic. Um, and, and now she doesn't have that at all. Mm-hmm. So um, I think that's, that, was, that was the journey that, that I went on and we went on. So, so I guess, okay. So you're going through all the different trials and errors and things that you had with your diet and then you've, mm-hmm. you've come across the keto. So, um, how does that, how do you engage in doing something like that? Cause you did it a month prior to your wife Beck doing it. Is that correct? That's you right. Started, yep. So how do you, how did you come across this or was that, you know, recommended via your doctor hyperinsulemia or I'm guessing that's what you had or mm-hmm. is it? Yep. Um, so is that, how does, you know, how did you actually become aware of that and go, okay, maybe the best tool for, for what I'm kind of going through is probably going to be something like a ketotic diet. Yeah. So, so the, um, I, I follow Tim Ferriss. He's a very um, popular um, mm-hmm. guy. And so him and Dom Agostino, Peter Atia, um, um, and David Sinclair, I mean, they're four gurus. Listen to them, watch them. They will change. Um, um, Carl Berg or Dr. Berg is another one. Um, Thomas DeLauer is another one I can share all these with you, but th- these are, these are probably five really powerful influences. And these are not, these are serious heavy hitters in, in the, um, pharmacological longevity space. I mean, David Sinclair is, 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 um, order of Australia and he's well-regarded. I mean, he's an advisor to governments around the world and, and, um, he's working on a, on a, um, um, a longevity gene. And and his and and a lot of that starts with with how we program at the cellular level and how we take the pressure off our cells and and understand the role of nutrition. And a lot of these guys say they'll all tell you eighty percent of the battle is in the nutrition and the rest is in in the fitness um, because we end up trying to fight by putting all these calories in and 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 then we're trying to have exercise to burn the calories. And burn the types of calories, and that's so much hard work. And I, I've been trying it for a long, long time. As soon as I drop twenty kilos, it's so much easier to do weight. And I, and when I reduced all the inflammation out of my body, uh, then I didn't have all the joint pain that I had. And and it was like someone had poured this nice cold ice over my joints, and I didn't realize how much inflammation I had. Mm-hmm. And it was a really strange feeling. So, you know. Um, yeah, and a lot of people have reported a similar thing. But I'm not saying it's for everybody um, because it is. it does require discipline to be on it. Um, and it was easier for both of us to be on it because, um, you know, Beck does, it, does a lot of the cooking. Um, but it's um, but we eat better than we ever used to. Mm-hmm. The, the irony out of this whole thing. And we waste less food and the net cost is cheaper and it's all. Um, anyway, so that's that was probably one of the biggest impetus to not just fitness, but, but well-being and 
and longevity and health overall. So how do you how do you kind of go about implementing this diet into into your lifestyle, right? So I'm guessing you're going from a typical standard Australian Australian diet to mm-hmm. then onto this sort of diet. How do you how did you kind of make your way through there? So you're saying that you did a lot of research, um, mm-hmm. but talk to me about in the ground in your kitchen. What are some what are some swaps and what are some things that you've kind of either removed and then kind of introduced to 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 either be in a state of ketosis or on a lower carb diet? Yep, yep. Um, and that so I suppose practically it was um, understanding that there the, the makeup of macros. So typically this standard American diet or Australian diet, SAD or SAD uh, as it is, is, is made up of um, typically they say 10% fat, um, uh, you know, 30% protein and 60% carbs. So on a ketogenic diet or keto diet, um, or, or keto lifestyle, depending on how you want to call it, you switch the carbs and the fat around. So you typically have you, the protein is still about 30%, depending on your age, because as you get older, your protein required for gluconeogenesis is, goes up. And, and so, you're, um, you know, so you end up having about uh, 60% of your diet as fat and 10% of your diet as carbs. And that's a fundamental change. And, and the reason why you have such dramatic results so quickly is because um, you get two to three grams of carbs for every gram of water. Uh, I'm sorry, of water for every gram of carbs. So one of the first thing you lose is all of this water and you just shrink. You can physically see yourself shrink. Um, so what we did was we replaced. So you think about the types of foods um, you, you have. Um, so no, no, you don't have beans. You don't have root vegetables. You don't have, um, um, all of breads, pastas, rice, gone. And, and for a lot of people, that's, oh, forget that I'm not going there because I can't do away with my sourdough artisanal bread and I'm going to have it or, <laughs> or, or I've, I've got to have my rice or I've got to have my, you know, for me, it was bread. I used to, I, I love my breads. And so, um, but I thought I have nothing else to lose, lose and have everything to gain from it. So, you know, let's try it for a month and see what happens. And so I think that was, um, so we, we took all of the breads, pastas, rice out, and it was, it's lots of cruciferous vegetables. So everything, all the veggies above the ground. And that was a big thing. Take away fruits, most fruits. So we have strawberries, we have berries, um, we have watermelon. So they're low carb fruits. And it's really easy to find this information on online, um, uh, around, you know, the different types of foods. And then we replaced it with healthy fats. So you think about um, we just have good quality um, beef, chicken, eggs. Eggs are a staple on keto. And, uh, and we had what they call smash. So smash is the five oily fishes. So sardines, mackerel, anchovies, um, salmon, and herring. So um, those the smash fish, and they make up a lot of the Mediterranean diet anyway. So we tend to find now a lot of our diet is very Mediterranean. So it's, it's artichokes, it's, it's you know, eggplants and olives and, you know, it's lots of high fats. And I mean, a lot of studies have shown a lot of the, the um, that, that uh, Mediterranean diet is, is, is a high fat diet and, and has been associated with, with longer lifespan. Um, so uh, that's what we do on a daily basis. And we just eat lots of greens, um, and 
same protein that we have. So we just pick, um, pick a protein, pick lots of veggies, whatever veggies we've got, and we'll either stir that up or we'll make a curry. Um, does that help? Is that yeah. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. How, how long, my, my curiosity is where, where, the, where it clicked for you. So going through change, and it sounds like it was kind of a very much a, like a quick sudden change where you're like, right, this is what I'm going to do. It was a bit of a, I know you don't like the word diet, but it was an intervention of some kind, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Yeah. So how, how does that actually look? So you're saying that you had all these amazing benefits within the first month. Can you give the listeners some, some real like what, what were the, what were you feeling through that time? Like, was it actually just from day one? You were like, man, I feel heaps better immediately. Like you're saying you're, you've lost a lot of water and glycogen, obviously within the first week. Mm-hmm. Um, and you immediately looked, looked differently, which obviously gave you motivation to then continue doing what you're doing. Were, were those benefits like basically continued as you, as you progress through it? Or was there a phase where you were like, man, I don't know if I can continue this. Like, this is a real big lifestyle change. Like, you know, not to have bread, something that you really, really love. Like, how do you, how did you kind of go through those phases? And was there a real struggle point? Um, I think um, there was, it is different for everybody. There is a period when, because remember with keto, what you're doing is you're fundamentally changing your fuel system. You're changing from glucose as your primary fuel source. And you're changing your engine to say, uh, I'm now no longer using, or I'm using glucose a lot less or not at all, especially in the early days as my fuel source. So what you're doing is you're starving your body of fuel. Now, a lot of people who go on the keto diet or do some variation of low carb diet, they go low carb, but not very low carb. And so they don't force their body. When you starve your body of carbs, I mean, we're biologically wired this way. And this is no different to, so when we starve, our liver says, I need to produce ketones so I can use fat stores. And this is just a biological, an evolutionary, um, you know, sort of hard wiring that we have. I mean, you think about, we typically store four to 5,000 calories of carbs in our body. That's the maximum we typically store, but 40,000 calories of fat for the average person. So those fat stores form a, a purpose for us. And, and so what happened when, when you starve it of carbs, your liver produces ketones, which produces BHB, beta-hydroxybutyrate, which, which then tells the, the, the cells uh, in, in the, the body to release the fat into the bloodstream and, and then um, become fuel. And what tends to happen though, during that period, for me, it was only a couple of days. They have what they call the keto flu where you, you lose a little bit of, um, uh, um, you get some slight headaches, you get very thirsty because it's leaching all the salt and water out of your body. So you have to have, one thing that we've had to change on keto is we double the salt content. Everyone says take salt out of diet. On keto, it's the reverse because ketones leach out salt out of your body. So we have lots of you know, iodine and, and um, Himalayan salt in our diet and, and we have... Um, uh, and that's how we, we ended up with a um, – so for me, it was like two to three days where I had mm-hmm. some headaches and a little bit fatigued. Um, 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 Beck, it was about uh, four or five days. But typically within the first two weeks, you've gone through that phase and you're back out the other end and all of a sudden everything changes. You know, your sleep – like I found one, I was happier. My mood regulation was profoundly different. Normally it would take me to 11 o'clock before I stopped being grumpy because I was so unhealthy. Um, and so, so that was a big thing. I woke up just alert and that was a very strange thing for me to, to experience. I was happy. 
Um, and it was a really odd feeling. Of, of, I went, I think I'm happy. What is that feeling? I hadn't felt it for such a long time. And it was just part of the mood regulation that, that happens as a result. Because there's a lot of neurological things that start happening as well. Because you're burning off the, um, what they call the, the, the telomeres, on, which is the nerve endings on the, the brain. And so there's a plaque buildup that happens on them over time. Because uh, whereas on keto, you, you're using a different fuel so that it's very refined. It's like using Formula One fuel. Um, so it takes more for the body to use it uh, and more energy for you to use it. But when it does, it's, it's a very pure burning fuel. It's probably an easy way to just try and describe it. Mm-hmm. So it sounds, it sounds like, like within the first week, you're basically you're like, right, this is what I'm going to do. It sounds very, very early on that you've had some, some massive changes, but some massive improvements. That must have been like a bit of a like, oh, my gosh, I wish I'd found this years before, right? Mm, it was. I mean, I, and I don't want to sound like a, like a, a religious zealot about keto. I'm not saying anyone else should go on it. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just sharing the experience that I and many others um, went on. I mean, it's interesting that keto has been around since the, the 30s because it was used for kids with epilepsy um, for neurological disorders. And, and what they found was that it, it helped with that. It helped with um, diabetes and insulin resistance as well. So a lot of people now are treating that um, with, with, uh, with, with a, uh, a low-carb or a ketogenic diet. So it's, um, they're the origins and it's sort of just been normalized into, a, into a sort of an eating lifestyle. But now it's, we don't think about it. It's really, you know, really easy and, and, um, uh, and been been uh, been good for both of us actually so. mm, yeah it sounds that way how did you so how did you then start managing your weight loss like was that all just a very organic thing purely because you you've gone through this different intervention or did you then have to target you know like you were talking about like your timing of food quality of food quantity of food you obviously attacked majority of all the things that that um are catered for good weight loss but did you specifically target for weight loss or was that something very organic that happened just over time as you got healthier um you felt better you wanted to exercise more how does that look like you said it was 25 kilos wasn't it mm-hmm. wow. um so i i found one you've got a whole lot more energy and and so you think oh what do i do with that and and i'd, I'd normally because i was sleeping when i hit about 45 i i i was awake for an hour a night at least and it was like almost an insomnia type thing. It was awful. I'd be snoring a lot. My wife would be, they could be complaining that, that I was snoring. Now I don't snore. And, and so it's really difficult to describe all of these other little sundry benefits that sort of come along with, with that change. But what, what I've found is it's been very easy to maintain my weight. So I went from 90 kilos down to, um, to 60, 64, 60. Yeah, some 64, 65. I sit about 65, 66 kilos now. But I, and, and that's because of my training. So that's another chapter. Once I started doing some serious um, endurance training, I had to rethink my diet a little bit. But what I knew, I had the levers. If I need to, um, like when I finished the Cairns Ironman um, um, in, in, a few weeks ago, um, I... I realized I, you know, I stopped and I tapered after the race and, and so my volume has dropped by half. And so, so my caloric requirements have also dropped. Um, and so I didn't you know, put on any weight. It was very easy for me. I could go back and do some intermittent fasting, which is difficult to do when I'm doing such a heavy training load training twice a day. 
that I I um I was able to um, drop my um, drop my weight and maintain it because you know the lever. I know exactly it's not just the volume because I eat anything I want basically. I mean within those bounds. Like I don't have like I have I have some carbs now. Um, my carb intake is higher. I tend to have a targeted um, um, what they call a targeted keto diet, which means when I'm doing high intensity training sessions or races, I then I top up with carbs and they're slow release carbs um, because what I don't want to do is spike my insulin because here's the reality. If you have, um, I'm trying to think of something. So typically our body can absorb about four to five grams of carbs per hour without requiring a release of insulin from the pancreas. But if you um, think about, if you have an orange, um, you'll get 100 grams within, within the first hour of, of um, spiking. So you'll ha have an insulin spike required to try and manage that because you don't need that much. But that's what tends to happen. So you think about our body over, the, over 20, 30 years of doing this, we ha have this sort of cellular fatigue. And that's when you, you don't start having the problems in your 30s. They start really hitting you in your 40s and, and 50s. And, and that's when, when it catches up with you. You can't outrun um, science. That's one thing I did learn. Yeah. So, so we're losing, losing all of that weight. So then basically what you're saying, it was definitely just a, like it was a progressive kind of way of doing it. It wasn't like you were very tactical. Like I need to lose X amount of weight. Like did you really kind of funnel down to shoot for 65 kilos or was that something that's, um, yeah, like again, <laughs> has it really just happened purely because of all this, these changes that you've had? Um, so that's really funny. It's like any goal. Um, it, it's about sort of an understanding of the art of what's possible. So when I first started, it was like, okay, I'm going to try, I'm going to lose 10 kilos. Wow. That's huge. Mm -hmm. um, you know, can I lose 10 kilos? Can I get to 80? And then when I get close to, oh, you know, 75, and I, I remember my doctor said that my, my ideal weight range for, for my height was 63 to 73 kilos. So I thought, you know what, if I can get close to 75, I'd be happy. Mm -hmm. I know it's a bit overweight, but it's better than tipping the obese scale, which is what I did when I hit 90 kilos. Okay. And, and, and that was a sort of a psychological thing. I had to make a choice. Um, do I accept that I'm one of those typical fat execs or overweight <laughs> execs, um, uh, or, uh, which is quite normal, um, or do I, do I try and do the other way? And um, anyway, so my, I kept resetting my goal and then I ended up sort of having this sort of terminal weight at around 64, 65 kilos. And I fluctuate every day within 500 grams to one point. I can, I can put on a kilo and a half in a day and I can lose a kilo in a day. Um, and that's usually just fluid um, that, that in the body. So I've sort of measured all this over the last couple of years and I've got a really good handle on how my body responds to different types of food, different types of fluid, different types of um, intensity of training. Um, so that's how I've sort of, um, mm. but now it's like, it's second nature. I don't think about it much. I just know I've got this lever to pull, that lever to pull. And if I need more energy, more hydration, yeah. Uh, if I want to get, if I want to get down to race weight, I know, okay, I just do those two things and within a couple of days I'm, I'm at the weight that I need to be. So it's, it's quite, I find it a lot easy it's, to do that now. So I've maintained but, that now for, for now. Uh, let's see, I dropped to 64 after about eight months. And then I, I've maintained that for about nearly 18 months. 
I, mm. I haven't. I, I've shifted within a couple of kilos of that weight. Um, you know, either side of it, and so I don't worry if I put on a kilo or a kilo and a half. It doesn't bother me at all. Well, I guess you've got the the information and knowledge to kind of pull which lever you need to pull at the right time, right? By the sounds of it. Yeah. Do you um, going back over the period of time by when you were losing weight um, because you were on such a different lifestyle change from what you were doing prior to that? Did you mm. have any moments of diet setback? Because there's a lot of dads that you know get onto these sorts of diets or get on these sorts of lifestyles. Like even if it's not a diet or it's a lifestyle, like people are kind of that whole on off switch, right? Like we want to be all on and then mm. next minute, you know, lifestyle is kind of thrown to bits or maybe the family's not quite on board. You know, the kids don't eat like I do, or I don't eat like the kids. How does like, can you give me an experience as to when you've kind of, have you failed? Have you, or has it been kind of sunshine and rainbows since you started? <laughs> no, I, I mean, I know it sounds like that, but it, it, I think the hardest part, because I did a lot of travel for work before COVID, um, it was, uh, you know, I'd be, I'd be traveling. So you'd have um, dr- alcohol. So you'd have a drink. Now the problem with alcohol is that the first thing I noticed after about three months, my body did not want to drink. Now I was a guy who loved a, a scotch at the end of, you know, a, a couple of fingers of scotch at the end of the day, or I'd like a glass of wine with dinner. I, I didn't go overboard, but but I'd do that. Or I'd be out with with um, with staff or clients, and and I'd have 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 a, have an alcoholic drink. So that was one thing. And sometimes it's also difficult when you're in restaurants because I'd, I'd spend. I mean, the year before when I first went on keto, not a good year to do it because I was, I was 110 days of year overseas mm-hmm. traveling. Okay. So I, right. I right, so I spent nearly three months of the whole year on a plane. Um, in in the hotels and and so that means i ended up having i'd stay at this one hotel and i'd get the chef to make me a i'd say like i want this food because you know in especially in in hotels you know the chicken would come crumbed or it would become you know have skins on it or would have lots of root vegetables and not 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 a lot of quality um cruciferous vegetables so i'd have to ask specifically i just so now I, I, I know when i go to a restaurant it's really easy it doesn't matter the time of day but i just say i'd get a protein i just make sure that it was fried is fine but not crumbed because the crumbs have carbs in it so i i would take out the, the crumbs um it, sometimes i'd peel them off but I'd, I'd do that and then i'd have just a side i'd eat sides of vegetables um, and that would be my meal. So I think that was some of the challenges and, and that was, mm. that took me a few months to sort of get into the groove of it because I'd get there and say, Oh no. Um, and because not all the places that you go, uh, um, are sort of well set up for that type of thing. So you'd sort of, um, you just do the best you can. And that's where fasting comes into it. You learn, I would often, I'd skip two meals, breakfast and lunch and just eat dinner. And and that was fine um, because you're used to fasting. And so I just have tea, coffee, uh, green tea, black tea, and coffee. Um, and when, when I'm doing fasts, I'll typically have two or three cups of coffee. I have, you know, coffee now with nootropics in it, which is like mushrooms. Um, uh, and then, you know, it was chaga and, and um, um, what's the other? It's another mushroom. Anyway, so they have some nootropics in it, alpha, um, GPC, which it helps with sort of mental clarity and, and concentration. Mm-hmm. So that's my coffee. Uh, and then uh, I have black tea and green tea because each, each one of those have different profiles of caffeine release. And so you can sort of start timing the amount of sort of caffeine that goes into your body so you don't spike too much. 
and um, and that's how I've measured, managed my um, um, sort of you know fasting periods when I travelled. So that was tough, um, and and you sort of tend to be a bit, um, uh, especially when you, I was very strict. And some days you just it's it's you don't call it a cheat day because I worry about cheat days become cheat weeks become oh okay it didn't work for me. Mm. So right, I, I never gave it those labels. Like I I never got into things like dry July or. Because I found what that meant was that uh, at the end of July, I could go hard or I could do whatever. I could go back to the way I was. And uh, what I found was now I'm, I, um, a six pack of beer lasts me. I think I, we just, I just finished one and it lasted me all year so far. <laughs> a six pack, right? Um, and it's low carb beer as well. So it's not normal beer. It's, it's, it's low carb beer. And you can buy that now. It's pretty easy to get. So um, but this, oddly, besides my psychological habit of wanting wanting it, my body was saying no, don't, and mm-hmm. and, and and not in an odd way where no, I don't want to do it because it'll break my diet. It wasn't that type of thing. It was a really, and my and my and my wife's the same. It was a strong f- physiological, almost a revulsion to it. And I did some research on it, and and, a, and what happens is your body, um, your liver. Um, has to prioritize the production of ketones. But when you put alcohol in, it's a, it stops producing ketones to, to, to cleanse the body out of uh, the alcohol out of the system. So all of a sudden your fuel source drops and you end up with a keto hangover the next day, which is, which is worse. So mm-hmm. I think that's probably what happened. So, you know, w- this was part of the learning journey and, and you, you don't judge it. I think one of the things that, that I've learned is, you know, become the citizen scientist. And, and just be and, and just observe. Don't get emotionally connected to, uh, you know, I screwed up today or that didn't work or be hard on yourself. Just be gentle on yourself and, and just unemotionally observe what's happening to you and adjust. And, uh, and that's probably what's worked um, because in the past I'd get very emotionally attached. Oh, geez, what happened to you? You know, if it didn't work for you and, mm-hmm. and you sort of start building up this, sort of weight on your shoulders that oh, here's another one that's going to fail. Yeah. Like a bit, bit of self-sabotage type um, behavior. Yeah. Yeah. Rather than just saying, oh, okay, that didn't work. Okay. And one of the things that we did is we, um, you can buy, it's only like 50 bucks. You buy this, um, uh, it's uh, ketone strips. So if you think about all those people out there have got diabetes, so they have to measure their glucose each day and they have this little meter and they prick their finger. So um, what, what uh, you can buy one that's glucose and ketones. And so what, what we did in the beginning, because you can't manage what you can't measure to use that very famous <laughs> saying, is, is that we'd measure ketone levels and we'd try and keep it in a range between 0.5 and 3. And I know this is really technical and super, super nerdy, but uh, and not everyone does it. Um, but we found that that helped us observe dispassionately what was happening to our body because we mm-hmm. measured our glucose level. And that's where we discovered that, that um, Beck's insulin resistance, her sugars were always in the 5.4 to 5.8, quite high. And when mine were in the 4.6, my sugars were pretty okay. But, um, and then her ketone levels for the first three months were very low and it took her a long time in. And so some people, it does take up to three months to break that insulin resistance if they're more insulin resistant. Um, and whereas I wasn't quite as insulin resistant, so, so my body responded quicker so Mm -hmm. everyone is really different and just by observing both your glucose levels and your ketone levels 
you can sort of see what's working and it's it's not about oh yay or like you know get excited or not excited it's just okay that's what's working great and let's adjust Um, Mm. that seems to be like some of the information that we hear from others as well that are doing um a similar sort of diet or at least a same sort of protocol in regards Mm. to using ketones and things is that like you've got a, a super duper high level of satiety. So you can almost like going back to what you can manage, right? What you mm. measure, you can manage. Mm. Same sort of thing with your diet, right? Like if you're in control of your hunger or in control of your cravings because you've got such a high high satiety diet, you're, mm. you're a bit more level-headed with your decisions. Is that, is that really something as well that's kind of, kind of hit home where you can, you're, you're, you're almost like sitting above your diet and you can actually manage it without it being too emotionally attached to things by the sounds of it? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, one of the things that I found when I first went on, to, on it, and I know we're spending a lot of time on, on, on the, the nutrition part, mm. but I think it is a really important part for, 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 um, for overall wellness because it allows, it frees you up to do everything else. <laughs> Correct. Well, it's um, obviously been a pivotal, it's been the pivotal thing for you to get where you are today with your sporting events. So it's definitely, yeah. definitely good information to get from people out there. Yeah. So, um, uh, what was I saying? So, in terms of being your hunger being no, no, you do have some hunger, but it's it's almost like a psychological. I expect to feel hunger. One thing I noticed is as soon as I went on keto, so bread, pasta, rice, that my calorie intake dropped from to eight to twelve hundred calories a day just overnight, and and I couldn't work out. I'm eating full. And there's two reasons for it. One, I was doing, I was skipping breakfast because that's part of your your time restricted um, eating. So by by doing the sixteen, uh, we I started on doing sixteen uh, eight, so sixteen hours of fasting, eight hours of of window, and then sometimes I go eighteen six, eighteen and six, um, so eighteen hours of fast and six hours of windows of of feeding. So it just depends. You can sort of play with that. Um, and that has, I mean, and those who want to look up, there's there's some really good stuff around um, intermittent fasting and and the, and the autophagy um, that, that that fasting brings about and longer fasts up to three days even. Um, the longest I've gone is two days in the past, but not in the middle of a of, a, um, of the Ironman campaign <laughs> because it's just your your calorie requirement in the middle of a um, of a training session is just too high, so. Um, I tend to fast when I'm on a, on an off block um, uh, or I keep it to just intermittent fasting. Um, so I've been doing more of that and I've really, you know, felt the, the, uh, the benefits of that um, straight away. So mm-hmm. I think that's absolutely fantastic, particularly, you know, I mean, we've been talking about nutrition for 40 minutes now, but it's important for the listeners to understand, like, particularly for your journey, this was the pivotal change, right? Like it's almost like you, it seems to be a bit of a trend with the dads that we're talking to. And like, if we think about health and performance, well, typically sometimes we get the guys and the dads that have find performance first, and then they kind of find love for their health because their performance is not moving the way that they want it to. Mm-hmm. Or it can be the other way around, which is, okay, I'm not healthy. I feel bad. I don't have any energy. I'm overweight. You know, all those sorts of things, kind of like what you had gone through. Mm-hmm. Um, you, you've gone from, yeah, I need to get healthy. And then that's turned into the performance side of things. Is that, is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I was 50, I was fat and I knew I couldn't, you know, I was growing a, a fast growing business. I couldn't keep up. So I, I sort of felt like I didn't have a choice and, mm-hmm. 
and so I was I was desperate really um uh, you know I, I I think the the experience in in the hospital um while generally good they had to take some oxygenated blood because of the DVT I had 16 clots in my my leg and I had a, a a nurse who was a beginner nurse and when you get oxygenated blood um I didn't realize that's different to the, the blood that's near the surface it's very deep down in the arterial vein and she didn't know how to get it and that she kept digging and digging and digging and I, I ended up passing out um, from pain and, and screaming and vomiting um, just from from that pain and the, and I was alone so the family was back here I had no one around me and that that moment galvanized action that I knew I was prepared now to make whatever trade-off um, it would take to make that change and mm-hmm. I, haven't, I haven't looked back and I think that's that, that's what when, when I because with you know Beck and I Beck, Beck has a website Beck Kiddo Runner um, is, is her website because she we, we've had so many people just ask about it so she sort of collected a bunch of really useful information <laughs> and 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 so she's we've had you know dozens of people now who've who've lost you know reclaimed their health through it and and we're not keto evangelists at all i know, I know it sounds like it but 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 people are just um, um are really hungry for change and yeah. and i think it's trying to um, um provide it in in a, in a pragmatic way that that they can use and so a lot of it is around really simple um but tasty foods you know we have desserts um as i said we eat better now than we ever used to and um we still have pizza we still have nachos but they're but they're you know the pizza base is made from scratch and mm-hmm. chips are made so we don't buy those things we we make them so it's sort of part of it is a bit of a shift to this whole foods movement um, mm-hmm. it, it sort of it became uh, that wasn't the intention but it turned out when we looked at it when oh actually we're cooking all of our food like we don't eat takeout mm-hmm. um very very rarely I, I can't even i could count on one hand in 18 months how many times we've eaten other than tra- travel related eating, mm. but how we've, 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 um, you know, grab takeout at home. The kids eat their normal diet, by the way, it's just Beck and I have the keto. So we have a two speed kitchen <laughs> um, where we have uh, us and we have the kids and a couple of the kids tried keto for a while, but then they've gone back to the, um, look, uh, you know, to the normal um, diet. And cause kids are a little bit different. Their demands are a little bit different. Their, their metabolic, um, functioning is a little bit different. Um, so the basal metabolic rate is so much higher. The NADs um, um, uh, is, 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 is completely different to someone who's, um, who's not a teen. So. Mm-hmm. That's, uh, I love everything that you're saying. So, so where does the training come into play? You know, you, you've just, so you've just rolled off the carpet of the 70.3 cans. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. So how did you, is that your first Ironman that you've completed? Yep. yep. Oh my God! What a what a story. <laughs> so um, let's let's dive into that. Where does the training commence? And was it was it straight like I need to do an Ironman, or it all? Or, yeah, you can tell me. How does that how does I, that look? I mean, I think it's it's like I said before. You know, goals are this progressive thing. You reach one, and and you think, yeah, why not? I'll try something else, and I'll do the next thing and the next thing. So you, you, it's like getting in an elevator of a forty story building. That you know, when you're on the ground, you only have one view of the world. And then you get up to the fifth floor and you think, oh, wow, what a great view. Hmm. And, and you love the view. Then you get up to the 15th floor and say, I can't believe I was ever on the fifth floor. <laughs> I love that. I've not heard that before. That is brilliant. <laughs> and, and, so, and so for me, it's like, okay, well, what's the, what, what's the view from the top look like? So 
I and I learned a lot of this as a gymnast because it's around perfection and 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 you know setting your sights to be what does it mean to be get a perfect ten, and while it has some other problems associated with it, um, the the it was always about I always looked around and said um, you know what is it that you know what is what does the best look like or what does good look like and and aspire to that but but this was actually a lot more pedestrian than that what how it worked out was. We did a park run on Christmas Day, uh, twenty on Christmas Day twenty, just before COVID hit. So that was twenty nineteen. Mm-hmm. So yep. Christmas twenty nineteen, um, um, Beck said, "Let's do a park run." You know, we're feeling pretty good because we'd lost all this weight, uh, and we started in the May, and it was now December, so we'd lost all our weight. So let's do some running, and we'd never sort of been able to run more than a couple of k's in a start stop. It you know eight minute K pace, you know, if you could call it running, but you know, that's, and we, we, we grabbed the fam, the kids at eight o'clock in the morning on Christmas day, she dragged us all down and did the park run, uh, park run together. And we just had so much fun. It was just such a great social atmosphere. And, and it was, we, we actually ran it. And, you know, I don't think the time was particularly good. I th- you know, I think it's like half an hour or something for the, for the, for the five K, but it was, it was much more, of a recognition of how far we'd come. And that began the journey of, of the fitness. And so I thought, shit, because I was a runner as a kid, I thought, I really enjoyed this. I'd forgotten what that was like. Sorry if I'm allowed to say that word. But, <laughs> no, go for it. <laughs> but, but anyway, so I, 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 so I thought, you know what? Um, I've always wanted to do a triathlon because when, when I grew up, we had guys like Grant Kenny, Lisa Curry Kenny, your listeners probably all too young to know these guys, but they were the early triathlon world champion triathlon um, kings, and so uh, I sort of admired them and looked up to them as a as a teen. And I thought, you know, I'd love to do an Ironman. I mean, you know, that's something that most people can't do. So, you know, I, let's do a triathlon first. Mm-hmm. And I, and I was a shit swimmer. Like, I, it's actually, I'm not that good still. But <laughs> like, I'd never done any open water swimming. I could swim two 25 meter laps before I die. Um, and that was it. And and I hadn't ridden a bike since I was eighteen. And I but I went and bought a bike. And I thought the way I approach things, if I'm if I set a goal, I'm going to do a triathlon. I, I there's a couple of things that I do, which I've learned, I suppose, from business. But you've got to put the structures in place for success. And otherwise, because success is not a team is a team sport. Even though triathlons and Ironman more than more than most, you are doing you know hundreds and hundreds of hours of alone in the dark no one around where you don't have to do it and no one will tell you or see you do it if you don't do it it only shows up on race day and so so that's so what i did was i went and joined a tri club and i found a coach and i was i um i bought a a a secondhand roadie uh and it was a good one but it was a secondhand roadie and and i thought i and then i had to buy these thing called cleats so I bought these shoes with had these clips on them. I'd never done that before. So I um I I, I pulled the bike out, put the shoes on that I bought from the from the uh, the coach place where they sold bikes, and I um I put them on and I fell over in front of everybody a number of times and I bent the anyway. It was really embarrassing. This fifty year old who's falling over on a bike in front of all these kids playing in the park, laughing, saying, "Look, this guy." Keeps... <laughs> anyway, so, but I, I, um, I, I persisted, and anyway, I, I worked out. There was a couple of really easy tips that if someone had told me, I would have, I would have, you know. Anyway, I learned how to do it, and 
and then I went to, with the tri club and did a swim session with this training group that I, I trained with. And it was, they put me in the, so you've got sort of seven lap, uh, seven lanes that they'd had, had in the pool. And I was in the lane with, with uh, the people that really couldn't swim because I didn't learn how to swim until I was 16 because my father never learned how to swim and he was afraid of the water, which he then passed those fears onto, onto the kids. Mm -hmm. And so we never went to the beach as a kid. We never went to the pool as a kid. And one, it was only that I eventually rebelled and, and jumped in a pool and, and learned how to swim, but I didn't learn how to swim properly only with my head out of the water. So it wasn't until 50 where I learned how to swim with my head in the water. And, and, and that was only 18 months ago or less than that. Wow. Yeah. So that was January, 2020. So that's, that gives you an idea of that. That's when I put on the bike, jumped in the pool and I remember swimming. I'm thinking, what the heck am I doing, you know, in here? Like you're such an idiot. Like, I mean, you know, you don't have to do it because my, I was in my a hypoxic state when you're swimming, which means you're, you're, you don't have any oxygen in your blood and because you just, you can't swim and, and swimming is the most technical of the disciplines and, and so you burn up all of your, your stores uh, and it's really, really painful. But anyway, I just, I persisted. And then um, that was, and then all of a sudden COVID hit. So my, and my wife, Beck Keep is running. So she was meant to do her first marathon this year at Goldie, but that obviously got canned and now she's in for black moths. So. She's, she's, she's running. Sorry, sorry, so she's doing marathons because she didn't want to do triathlons. Um, and then I, so I sort of started building more confidence and I did before COVID hit last year, Husky, um, which is a big triathlon event down mm -hmm. in Huskisson each year. And I did, I, I did the first one I did in February of 2020 after two months of training, I did the little sprint one where they did a, there's a 250 meter swim. Um, I think it's a 10 K bike ride or 20 K bike ride, 20 K bike ride and a five K run. Yep, and, and and it was in in up at the Penrith Regatta, and I and that two fifty swim in the lake, and I sort of doggy paddled and whatever my way through that, and that was scary, but it was I, I made it and, I, and that was good. And then uh, the following week was when they had I did the sprint at Husky. Now I'd only been in the open water twice, um, so I'd never been out of the pool except for one other time, and besides the the, uh, the little hills one. And this was a 750-meter swim. It was a um, 30 or 40k bike and a and a, a 10k run was this particular one that I did. And it was in the afternoon on Saturday afternoon, and so and it was very choppy. And I ended up getting dragged out of the water. And there's about 30 of us. It was really rough. And so I didn't finish the swim, but I finished the bike and the run. And and so that was really demoralizing for me because I, I'm thinking. Oh, shit, I've, I've, I've invested this money, this time, I can't swim. And it was really embarrassing to not finish the swim. Mm -hmm. And then I ended up, um, so I, I, I took on, I changed my coach and, and my coach is a very experienced ex-Australian Ironman champ, ex-Kona, you know, top Kona performer. And, and he's, uh, and so he, I, I didn't do anything for six months because COVID hit. And so I just maintained some fitness and did bike cycling and some running and I did an occasional swim in the pool, but I had no coach. And so I just treaded water to use that analogy for the rest of 2020. And in November, 2020, I started with this new coach. And then over the course of the next eight months, 
he put me on a program and uh, you know, we use training peaks um, where, where he, you know, he put the program in place and uh, I paid him to give me some one-on-one swim coaching mm-hmm. so I could do some swim coaching. And then when I just, I do, you know, extra swim I'm by myself and I just do drills and drills because I knew I was so embarrassed, not just embarrassed, but with myself, it was just so one of the things that I needed to crack if I was ever going to do this. Um, and I said, I want, I want to do cans. And he said, you're really sure about that, Dan? Do you want to do a half Ironman? You know? And, um, you know, so he was trying to not talk me out of it, but really question, did I have it, what it took me to do it? Yeah. He knew how, he knew how shit I was at swimming. I just sucked at it. So he, um, so anyway, that was my, my, um, my journey of swimming. I ended up, you know, doing okay with that. Um, and at my peak, just before the run, I was doing about 10 to 12 hours a week of training um, for the half. And, um, you know, like, and, I, I, but, and ironically, like I did it. I, you know, I completed the swim and, uh, and, and that was and good. And the water up at Palm Cove in Cairns was rough. It's, it's, you can't see right in front of you, much rougher than what I'd ever swum in before. But I, 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 I swam it okay. So I'd really developed just in that, in that eight months period. Mm-hmm. Um, and in fact, there's a little interlude, which I'll sort of briefly um, talk about where I was in, I, I did a training camp in Jindabyne. And um, the, the first time, and I didn't realize this, but it was 10 degrees in the water and it was so cold, it took my breath away and I started to panic. I ended up having this anxiety attack. And so I went from being able to swim a little bit to swim nothing. And so they had to break me down to get over this psychology of, of being able to swim and say, right, Dan, just do 30 strokes out and 30 strokes back, 40 strokes out, 40 strokes back. And I had all of these, you know, 60, 70-year-old women and, and guys and, and others who were – I was training with these other triathletes and I was the worst of the bunch. Um, but, I, but I did it and I came back and it was, you know, I ended up, uh, you know, it was a good outcome. Yeah, it sounds it. And and did you, like, I guess the, the, the Ironman, the 70.3 in Cairns, did you, how did that feel at the end? Like, do you feel like you kind of really found what you were looking for? Like, I suppose, you know, going from, going from feeling unhealthy, being unhealthy, overweight, to then losing weight, getting into training, uh, getting through COVID, or at least, you know, still going through COVID, obviously, but, um, and the initial phases of it, and then coming out the other end and doing a doing an Ironman how did that feel at the end like is it is it a bit of a combination of everything coming together yeah um I think the the unexpected benefit for all of this that I needed to overcome is um is the psychological component um I needed to get out of my head I'm an analytical kind of guy so I'd for me when I saw the water I'd look at all the ways that I could drown (laughs) and and I was I I um I had some coaching buddy some you know guys that I'd trained with and and coach and and my coach he jumped in the water and said I'm swimming with you I thought why would you do that I mean and he did, said come on let's do it and so he swam the distance with me and and that really taught me a lot about a, a really important part of leadership as well about you know he made it feel safe mm-hmm. and and that was a really powerful leadership lesson for me when when this guy who did not who was so experienced you know an, uh, an international professional uh um was was wanted to swim with this with you know with me to help me feel to overcome that little piece and and that was quite transformative so for me it's 
what I've learned is that anything is possible. And I've walked out of that Ironman with a renewed vigor on anything I want to set my mind to in life, I can do. And I mean anything. So me, it's just about dreaming up what's the next thing for me to do, which is what I'm working through. And I'll keep doing these now because I've got, you know, sort of a um, plan. But but I don't I don't have any limits because I realise that if I've overcome this, that I can do anything. Hmm. I love that so much. And honestly, mm-hmm. like like I could almost just leave it leave it there. I have a lot more that I want to kind of go over. If you've got a you know a bit more time up your sleeve, but sure. um, like sure. that's just amazing because you feel like you're basically you're. The sky is the limit, you know, not to use that <laughs> typical term, but you do you do really feel like that from your core, right? Oh, yeah, I mean, there's this sort of like, uh, you, you sort of develop some of these mantras, um, but but one of the things that the Iron Man thing talks about is anything is possible. And and and, and it sounds like a bit of a platitude, um, but but uh, you, you do actually realise that because what you just, all you need to do is understand what the steps are to be very clear about the goal, to put time about, to put a time in it. It has to be bigger than what you can achieve in the moment today. That was the thing for me. There is no way in the world I thought I could do an Ironman. And I have no idea why I, I even tried it because it was a bit sort of um, silly, um, you'd think, because if you think about where I was two years earlier, you know, in, 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 in hospital to, to being able to, to do that. And mm-hmm. so... I found if I set a goal that is so much, it, um, it galvanizes action. And then I told some people about it, which made a big difference. And I surrounded the tools and the communities of, of support to, to get that to happen. And, and then I made all the trade-offs, you know, work, food, sleep, habits. I mean, I had other execs who would say to me, Dan, how do you, I mean, you're running a business. Um, how do you find time to, to do the training? And I said, well, you know, one, I watch less Netflix. I have, you know, I'm very disciplined with the sleep, so I make sure I'm in bed by 10 and I'm up at 5, 5.30 every morning. And so I'm, I'm trying to make sure that I'm in bed for seven, seven and a half hours and I typically get six and a half to seven hours sleep. Um, and and so I'm, I, you know, that, that trade-off of going to bed a bit later, um, I realised it's actually not that big a trade-off with all the benefits that I got from it. So, mm-hmm. um, But for me, it was setting goals I knew I couldn't achieve today that galvanized me into action and and then it's only coming through that i remember doing the first time i did a 25 kilometer bike ride i thought oh my god this is incredible and then i did a 50k bike ride and i thought oh, i'm amazing this is fantastic i can't believe i did this and then i did a 75 and then i did 100 and i rode up to the top of kosciuszko you know to you know when i did the jindy thing and and you know, it's a 2000 meter elevation in the ride um you know we'd ride up we rode from jindy up to um uh, up to Threadbow, did a did a three k swim and then rode back down the mountain again, and uh, and it's you think why am I here? You're crazy, you're crazy. And at the end of it, you think I oh, know, I know, I did it because it's that sense of accomplishment of being able to push yourself beyond where you thought you could opens the mind and, and makes you really tough and is also very humbling hmm. because it it strips the ego from you when you're around people that you think, oh, I'm not going to do this? Because we often, I found that I would stop doing things and a little confession here, and I don't know if anyone else has this, but especially as males, you, you have to put this persona of, you know, I've got this, I've got this. And reality is you're in these circumstances often that you don't get it, you don't have it, and you have to be um, open enough to be vulnerable 
And because it's through that vulnerability, when I couldn't swim and I was embarrassed, you know, when this 70-year-old woman, she came up to me and said, that's okay, you can do it, you've got this, you've got this. And she'd swim off plodding along in the water and I couldn't <laughs> keep up with her. Like, you know, for me, I had to let go of that ego of not only male but experienced guy, you know, 50, like, uh, you think you've got this stuff sussed and you realise you don't. And do you know what? The moment I let go and said, I don't care. I have to be me. I have to be as bad as I am today. Don't hide it in your Strava results. Results. Don't try and hide it in anything. You failed. Actually, you didn't fail. It just didn't go the way you thought. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's all that means. It's not failure. It just didn't go the way that you had hypothesized. Okay. Oh, that means I've got another shot. Of course you do. And then that changed everything for me. So the psychological change in me was the, was the bigger, biggest benefit of, of all the stuff that I've been doing the last 18 months. And as a result, oddly, all my kids now uh, eat better and they, they're all exercising and, and now they're all coming and them and their partners are now starting to run with each other because we've, we've got four adult kids. Our oldest is 25, 23, so 25, 23, 21, 18 and 16. So three girls, two boys. And now all of them are at various stages of their sort of athletic journey and, and they're all making their own choices about health and wellness, not by anything that we've said, just by the example that we've set. So for us as parents and as a dad for me, it's job done. Mm-hmm. You're lead, leading the way by example, which is, yeah. which is why I you know, want you on here um, telling your story as well, right, which is to other dads that aren't, aren't where they want to be or are looking for more progression and can learn from your journey. It's like leading by example is such an amazing thing. And what it's actually interesting that you said um, like what you're talking about, like setting the bar high or something that's like setting a goal. That's a little bit kind of out there. Like, I think you, you t- what was the term that you said? It was like you, if you can do it now, well then it's not really a goal. Like you need to set something that's outside your current limits. Oh yeah. And, you have to set a goal that you can't achieve. There you go. Perfect. And like that has come up so many times and strictly one guy that we um, interviewed a guy called Nick, if you haven't checked that out episode, you guys down below, you can check it out. But um, he gone, yeah, has gone from very unhealthy, similar sort of scenario to then gaining his health and setting, setting a goal of um, doing the, if you know the area that Hawkesbury, the Hawkesbury river from Windsor to row all the way to, um, I think it was Brooklyn or past there as well, like Palm Beach. It was ridiculous. And it's supposed to take him like 18 hours, you know, and gone from mm. nothing to then that. But like, I think setting, setting something that's a little bit audacious and a little bit like, if I don't do, or if I don't make changes now, I'm not going to be able to do X, Y, and Z, which is your mm. audacious goal, which is what you're saying, right? Like it kind of forces action and discipline and all those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. And you have to set aside things and make trade-offs um, and and be prepared to do it alone in the dark, up at five or five thirty in the cold in the pool. Um, yeah, it's it's a really interesting. You get, you learn a lot about yourself and how often how weak you know you you've got to say you know I, I would say Dan you you know you're you're really you're so ego driven and I'd have to have, have these really harsh conversations and I had to be prepared to look at those ugly bits of myself that I didn't like and because you get stripped back there's no doubt about that but then mm. you come out of it and you went hmm, like, you know what you can be your authentic self and and that's something that I found really really powerful 
How, speaking of getting up early in the morning and training and things, how, what does that look like? How do you balance your work um, with, I know it's different now because you're not traveling as much because of COVID, but obviously mm. you're still very busy. How do you manage your training with work? Um, I suppose um, I, 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 I have sort of like, <clears throat> it's about, there's a great book called Atomic Habits. Um, and if your listeners are interested in that, it's, it's a um, New York Times James bestseller. Clear. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that you know. Yep. So yep. great book, um, and and it really just talks about. Um, like I'll give an example how I do. Before I go to bed each night, I would make sure that um, my planning for the next day was already done. Um, I would have all my clothes out ready, um, so I didn't have to dig around in the clothes. Because what happens in the morning, your you know your cortisol is just kicking in. So you, you don't have the same clarity of mind. And so things take twice as long and, and, and your ability, you, you have to take out the notion of choice in the morning. If you have to choose, you won't do it. Mm-hmm. And it has to be something that is aut- um, aut- automatic. And so I just have my clothes. I would roll out of bed. Um, I, I, rather than thinking through, should I, shouldn't I today? I had to get in pain. No, I'd do it. And I just throw the, throw the, the, the kit on. And, and walk out the door and the thongs at the door because I just, you know, if I'm going to the pool or if I'm, you know, going for a ride on the train or indoors and everything had to be set up. And so that was a, a big thing. That's about setting up the infrastructure for those set of habits to happen. But that means by the time it's, you know, like I'd be 5.36, so 6.37, um, I'd be finished. I'd still be um, at 8 o'clock in the morning um, ready to go. Mm-hmm. And, and then I'd either do a... Um, uh, so that if I had one training session a day, sometimes I'd then do a swim at night time. So I'd do a cycle in the morning and a swim at night or I'd do a run in the morning and a swim at night. Uh, and I typically swim uh, two pool sessions during the week uh, and I'd do one open water swim with the tri club um, on the Saturday. I'd do a brick. Um, uh, I'd do one brick on the Saturday morning um, and brick for listeners is we do a cycle and we typically go down to Centennial Park. And so we do, say, uh, an 80 or 90-minute hard bike ride, jump off the bike, throw the shoes on, and then do a 5 or 6K run. And so that was our brick in the morning, and then we'd do a swim at night. So that was your Saturday. And Sunday was your long ride. And so you do two, three, four, five hours um, on the Sunday. Mm-hmm. But you're starting at, you know, 6 in the morning. And so by the time it's mid-morning or lunch, you've done, you've done a dusted and you've got the rest of the day. Um, the other thing I had to learn to do was – uh, let go of stuff. Uh, as a bit of a control freak, I had I had to learn to not do everything today. I delegate better um, to the team, um, and and some things I just let go and realize what was important to do today. And I got very good at prioritizing what was important to do today. And I realized mm-hmm. that um, you become better at productivity, but not because you're better at productivity, but you're better at prioritizing. Mm-hmm. And and I guess a general theme there is like to reduce as much decision fatigue as possible for yourself, right? Oh yeah, yeah. And and actually, what I found was that neurological load on so much learning. You don't realize how technical the sport is. Um, just learning. There are so many small elements that all go together to pull it together. So it's not just swim, bike, run. You know, each one of those is a set of is a is a, di- a, a discipline, and, and then connecting them all together. Um, is 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 another discipline, and the transition is a, is the fourth discipline, is the fifth discipline, and right, is 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 something that I've struggled with a bit because on keto, 
you've got a, a different set of requirements around that. Um, so I've had to learn hydration uh, and and nutrition a little bit differently um, because mm-hmm. there, you know, there's a whole emerging science around endurance athletes and keto um, um, that, uh, that so I tend to be, there aren't many of us that are doing it, but there are more and more. And so it's about sort of sharing that information and just sort of becoming what I call the citizen scientist mm-hmm. is um, just, you know, study, study the human condition. It's your field because, you know, your brain responds to the inputs that your body gives it. So, so what, what's comes after something like I am in Cairns? So a couple of years of these last couple of years have been life altering for you. Where, where do you go after doing an Ironman, half Ironman? Is it, is it a full Ironman I'm guessing or? Um, I think for me, I, um, my next job is, is to try and, and I suppose this is the old gymnast coming out of me is how do I get better at that 70.3? Cause 70.3 people say, oh, it's a half Ironman. Well, it's, it's, it's still, it's a, it's actually a different it's a, race. It's a beast. It's, <laughs> it's a, it's a beast. And so not just because of the time, cause you, you know, you're five or six hours on the road, you know, um, typically for a half Ironman, but it's, it's, it's very intense. It's, um, it's a, um, and so for me, I'm going to probably spend the next um, year or two um, just on doing the, the Ironman and shorter distances. I'm doing crit racing. I was going to start it, but obviously with COVID. So I was going to do, um, so I'm doing crit race, uh, criterium bike racing to help mm-hmm. build the speed and power on the bike and build a lot of those race habits. Um, I'll join a, um, a squad and do three or four days a week in the morning just building my swim technique because um, I found now I enjoy swimming oddly. Can you believe it? <laughs> you know, I can, I can swim two or three K now and, and not think too much of it, which is an incredible. I feel, you know, a lot of um, satisfaction with that. So I did. Uh, so, so for me, it's about that. And then once I've built up that, that speed and that, and learn the technicalities of the support, then I'll go to a full, um, uh, so that way, I, you know, I'm trying not to spend 14 or 16 hours on my feet. <laughs> I'd rather, my goal is a sub 10 hour Ironman, full Ironman. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there, there it is, it's out there. Um, <laughs> <laughs> you can come yeah. back to this anytime you like. <laughs> well, you know, you know what it's, what's great? If it doesn't, if it's, if it's 10 and a half or 12, who cares? It doesn't matter. But, but at least, you know, that's the bar that I, I set. Great. And so you, I work back from that and, I, you know, I don't mind failure now because it's not really failure. It's just it didn't work out the way I, I thought. Yeah. So, you know, I think that's something that I'll, I'll – um... so anyway, so that's – and my wife and I just want to travel the world doing Ironman and or triathlons and, and marathons. So, you know, we've got in – we'll do the New York Marathon, the London, the Berlin and, and a few Ironmans around the world. So that's how – that's sort of like – mixing our holidays with our, um, with our. It's like lifestyle, uh, everything that you've been talking about, right? It, it's, it's combining everything to make it that one big lifestyle. Yeah. And, and so that's, um, that's sort of it. Hmm, that's fantastic. That's awesome. Mate, I, I, before we kind of wrap things up, what I'd probably love to get from you is if you had to kind of summon some things up and give a message to, to the dads listening to, you know, that are looking to improve both performance and their health as well. Maybe it's weight loss um, or just feeling better about themselves. You know, what's something that you would, you would leave them with that they could probably go and get into it immediately. What's some advice that you would leave them? Okay. Um, good question. So I would, the first thing is it's never too late to start. Um, often you think, oh, you know, I'm, um, bed or, 
or or I've, or I've got plenty of time. Right? So some people think it's too late to, to really get onto it and so they don't really bother it. Or some people think I've got plenty of time, so I don't. One thing I've learned is one, it's never too late. Number two, life catches up with you. You can't outrun science. So eventually your lifestyle today is with compounding interest will, will hit you later on, whatever that is. And so they're the two things that I've, I've learned out of it. Um, as I said, become a citizen scientist, learn, learn about, like study it and learn it. So, and educate yourself because the more educated you are, the more you're able to adapt without emotion. So you don't, you don't penalize yourself psychologically for it. You just realize that, you know, your body is a biological organism and you're, you're fueling it in a way and you're training it and keeping it, you're stressing it because what we're trying to do with exercise, as much as we might like it, we're actually just stressing our body, which is actually important for our body's um, regeneration cycle and, and cleansing cycle. All of our lymph nodes require zone one and two training to help clean the lymphatic system because it, it requires that muscular change. So I think that's um, uh, that's the part. And then um, just be honest with with yourself about where you're at. Don't kid yourself and just be open to that change. You know, don't, don't be the tough guy <laughs> that, um, that we often think is is it sort of comes with a lot of our upbringing it did with me in, in particular growing up when i did um we don't want to talk about that sort of stuff so i think it's just being authentic and and open to to change and and then just go all in